Let me do that again. We'll get the announcement on it. No? Okay. Mr. Ron Wilhoyt has a split sermon with every knee shall bow. Mr. Wilhoyt. Good afternoon, friends. Good afternoon, brethren. Good afternoon, brothers, sisters. You know, I was going through, as we sometimes do. I don't always just wait till spring to do it, but sometimes I go through and say, you know, I just need to get rid of some of this <clears throat> stuff that I've got collected. And I found something as I wrestle my watch. I found something. I found the, what I think is the last one. I had these made up a few years ago that people could put these on their vehicles. Traveling to the Feast of Tabernacles and traveling back from the Feast of Tabernacles and it has generated some conversation from people wondering, thought or FOT? I don't know if you've noticed, but there are these certain people driving around now that have these stickers on their car that says, I think, 26.2 and 13.1. I'm like going, is that Psalm 26? It's not, it has nothing to do with that at all, but it's given me a good idea. And what these people are doing to, I guess let me know, is that one of them has ran a full marathon at 26.2. Good on you. And these others have run the half marathon at 13.1. Well, I think we can take that idea in that same style and put 3 colon 16. Just put that little John on top of it. Or whatever verse you might want to have. Because if we're going to boast, let's boast in the Lord, right? 3 colon 16. Well, I don't know if he realizes it. In fact, I know he doesn't realize it. But I appreciate Rick Gaywith. I appreciate Rick Gaywith very, very, very much. I've known Rick Gaywith now for almost 20 years. He saw me probably one of the best nights of my life marry my wife 20-something years ago. But what most people don't realize is that I spent three years of actually working about 20 feet from the man. So you know how it says you have seven days a week. There was a song, ah, you might have heard of it, eight days a week. Well, see, I used to have six days a Rick working with him five, and of course always having him here in the duties that he does here for the church, and I appreciate, well, I could say it 30 more times. I appreciate so many people here. But one thing I appreciate about Rick this week, especially after this week, you know, you've had one of those weeks, and we've all had them, to where you kind of go, hmm, I think I know the motivation behind the hymn safely through another week. What I'm appreciative of Rick this week is what you call his, his email signature. That for those of you who have ever received an email from Rick, right there at the bottom, it's Richard J. Gaywith, Tulsa Church of God. But it's what's below it is what I had to have. Going through my mind because it says, today is a good, all caps, so you get kind of, Uplifted when you see things in all caps. Today is a good day to have a great day. Of course, Bill Fowler. But you say, well, why is any particular day a good day to have a great day? 
Today is a good day to have a great day. Why is any particular day a good day to have a great day? It's because of what else Bill Fowler said. He said, because blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. And I tell you what, you have those weeks that you better praise God and thank God that you've got a little bit of that Bill Fowler saying in your mind to where you are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be flexible because it pays off. And it's surprising what happens and what we are taught while being flexible. Thank you, Rick. If you were here, you might remember. If you were here, you might not remember. But if you weren't here, you can't remember. <laughs> in one of our earlier prayer and praise sessions that we do in this portion of service, there's a little time to do a, what they call the little mini message, the devotional message. Just to say something in a couple of minutes to maybe give it an inspire thought. Well, after looking at Rick's email signature, I, I remember that it was my email signature that I talked about during that mini message and how I've kind of cast that out at the bottom of my name and where I work and I thank God that I work for a place that where I can put Psalm 127.1 as my email signature. I've kind of cast that out there and it's returned some interesting exchanges. I talked about one that I had had in that message but this past week has been another one. I had some contact with a manager who was in who was in Michigan. Has many people working underneath him and we had some email conversation back and forth about a certain something and then so I realized my phone's ringing and I don't recognize the number and it's this gentleman who I'd been corresponding with after he introduced himself and we talked about a certain thing, he goes, what's the Psalm 127 all about? A little bit of silence. So I was kind of poised to do a little sermonette. I said, brother, I'll tell you what, Psalm 127, which is unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. What I've done, as I said, I submit and surrender everything that these hands do to that right there. Everything that I try to do, everything that I hope to do has got to be submitted and brought to that because unless the Lord builds the house and everything that I'm doing in my life, it, it's going to come to nothing. Well, see, he was poised to do a sermonette too. So he fired back about Proverbs 3 and how, how just recently some people that had worked for him were having a difficult time with a specific job and if you knew what he did, you would understand why. And he tells his man, he says, you have to acknowledge the Lord and you have to submit to the Lord if you want your path directed. So we both said amen to each other. It's a good exchange, but you just never know. Be ready always, brethren, right? Especially if you throw a little something out there. Well, after we had this, an interesting thing happened. I got an email from him that was real quick real short, real concise, kind of the one-sentence type email that says, I need you to pray for my daughter Chrissy. I said, wow. <clears throat> when you have children, when you have a daughter, 
I'm just speaking for myself, but I think I speak for other men too, when you have a daughter, that's probably one of the most, if not top two precious things female-wise and life-wise that you hold very dear to your heart. And it's not something that any man or dad would casually do when he's talking about his daughter. So I took it very serious. And I said, well, she's on the list. What do I mean by she's on the list? This is what I mean by she's on the list. See, this is another Gay With Family production. This is the list. And I said, it's not just going to be her, it's going to be your whole family is going to be on the list. And what the list is to me, I've told some people this, is that every week when this is provided for us, Sabbath in, Sabbath out, every week, as the doors are open, this is waiting on us with the prayer requests. And for four weeks in a row, I take these and I staple them together and I run through a series of four. When I get to that fourth one, I have a special prayer at the end of that week and I lay that aside and start another one. So the list is ever revolving and changing, but this is a huge part of my day and it is a companion everywhere I go. Because the more I've been doing this, there's people on this list that you have no clue and never hear come from the prayer lists and the prayer requests here, but they're on mine. And I know that each of us have that, prayer lists that we keep. And so I just staple that together, and I have that with me, and he is on the list. But when you look at it, if you just want to look at your bulletin right there in the prayer requests, as I was signing this man's name and daughter to my list, what caught my eye was pray one for another. Pray one for another. This is my companion, like I said, that I go through as part of my day. Going through these, praying specific things to me as I learn about prayer. But let me confess my faults. It hasn't always been. It hasn't always been a part of my day. It hasn't always been my companion, and I want to testify to each person who hears this, I want to testify to the loving kindness and the tender mercies of our Heavenly Father and our saving Jesus for how they gently, though there were times it felt anything but gentle, but how they, looking back, how they gently and lovingly are bringing me to the place to where I now am placing prayer at the level that it has got to be. And I'm trying to be a prayerful man. So when I was given the chance to put this man's prayer request, I was just thrilled to do it. Because what used to not be so serious in my life is tremendously serious now and it is just that it's praying praying one to another because in all of the seemingly impossible situations and I 
not really sure if that's a word, but it, like it seems to me, it's seemingly impossible situations and circumstances. These circumstances and situations that the frailty of the flesh, the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in, There's an incredible thing that Gabriel said to the beautiful, blessed mother of Jesus. When he said to Jesus, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So whatever seemingly impossible circumstance or situation that we're going to find ourselves in, it was Gabriel who announced that. And it's very specific. It's with God. Nothing shall be impossible because it's with God. And another one of my favorite quotes. This makes you think a little bit. Nothing touches you without first touching him. Nothing touches you without first touching him. I appreciated the gentleman emailing me back. And I like how he kind of ends his... See, just in this communication, I think I've kind of got an idea about the kind of guy he is. And it's interesting how we can do that when you kind of have that same outlook and perspective on how we've got to fall at the feet of Christ Jesus and he's got to be our direction and guide at all times. And you can kind of sense that from another one who is feeling the same things, especially about his family, his children. Like what he, he kind of finishes this correspondence. And he says, all of it fell in order. No worries. Big God. I like that. All of it fell in order. No worries. Big God. It's incredible. You know, Scripture reveals to us that during the days of Jesus Christ that it came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, Scripture says that when he had stopped, here's the Savior praying, but when he had stopped praying, one of the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples how to pray. To observe Jesus praying, okay, I think he's done, go ask him. Lord, teach us to pray as John did his disciples. And you know, in praying one for another, see that's right there in your bulletin, in praying one for another, don't we have to ask the same thing? We have to make the same request. Lord, teach me to pray one for another. But see, that's assuming something. First of all, we have to come to the realization of, do I pray? Well, I know that when someone's praying, I will bow my head, and when he's done, I'll say amen. Kind of that passive participation. You know, I'm not sitting there on the cell phone or talking. I've actually got my head bowed and I want to say amen when he's done. What do you mean do I pray? 
You know, I've gotten really good at that time when they say, you want to bless the meal? And I'll say something about be nutritious and bless those hands and blah, blah, blah. Am I praying? Lord, teach me to pray. As John also taught his disciples, it is interesting to think of how those guys knew that John taught his. It makes me think of what John said to them. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, when you pray, it's specific, teach us to pray. When you pray, not if, not, well, if you guys ever get a mind to, or if you're ever asked to pray over some bread and fish, mm -mm. it's when. When you pray, say. It's very straightforward, isn't it? It's very straightforward. It's very simple. I mean, could it be too simple? Uh, if you want to overcomplicate things, it might be too simple. But Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. So the focus is immediately where? It's off me. Is off my seemingly impossible circumstance and situation, my attention is automatically drawn to what? And he said, Father. Father, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Our Father, and the three yours in the New King James. Three thys in the King James. Our and you put a Y in front of that word, you get your, our, your, your, your. When you pray, say. But Jesus says again, when you pray, what? Go into your room, go into your closet, shut the door, pray to your Father. That's not always possible, is it? In the context of convenience. We're all about convenience. But Jesus said it again. He said, when you pray, say. When you pray, go into your room, go into your closet, shut the door. Pray to your Father. But it's an attitude. So in talking about questioning ourselves as we are examining ourselves, Lord, teach me to pray. Taking a little bit of that James aspect of that. Teach me to pray for others. Okay, Jesus says, when you pray, say. Beginning with that attitude of our realization, because automatically, with those words, where am I? Access to the Father. It's a focus. I'm not on this. I'm going to get off that. And I'm going to go to the Father. It's an attitude in approaching the throne. And then also there's another thing that through the discipline, I call it the discipline, through the discipline of the daily Bible, any of those who, who you have ever done that and said, I'm going to take this on, I guarantee you, I know I can spend 10, 15 minutes reading the Bible every day. I'll show you. We'll try it. Confess my faults. I'm about three days behind on the Old Testament part right now. It's discipline. 
But going through this process in the discipline of the daily Bible, there's something that has been adjusting my attitude and adjusting my approach to prayer that I've found in Moses. What I call it is, is the Moses and Aaron position in the face of adversity. Several occasions in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron, in the face of adversity, are where? Face down. Face down. When you pray, say. When you pray, go into your closet. He says it twice, right? Jesus says, when you pray. Jesus says, when you pray. And Jesus also says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Lord, teach us to pray. I think most of you in this room have at least maybe met my dad or know that I have a dad. <clears throat> he used to attend somewhat regularly. He's an interesting character, and he always has been. But he never ceases to always say something that I'll go, okay, wait a minute. My dad is the kind of guy that when you talk to him, whatever is going on in your life, whether it's the fact that you made it home from work, that's going to be lifted up in prayer, followed by praise God. What's going on? Well, I have to go out of town. Got you lifted up. What's going on? Well, Brooks, is it? Got you lifted up. And then after that event happens, praise God. It's this lifting up and praising God, incredible cycle. You know what? And that old three score and 17 year old rascal, you know, I think that he actually believes that you can pray without ceasing. So now I truly believe something. I truly believe that that, what Scripture calls is the hoary head, maybe that three score and ten to three score and twenty earthen vessel contingent, that gang in that era, you know, three score and ten, three score and twenty, I firmly believe that they can pray without ceasing because it's a, a seasoned spiritual discipline. And it's evidenced by the way they speak and the way they talk and conduct themselves. See, how does James finish that in your little bit of James in the bulletin? It says, pray for one another that we may be healed. Pray for one another. that you may be healed. When I look back at the prayer requests, when I look back at the prayer lists, when I think about the prayer requests, conversations that I have with people, the things that I know about, the things that I take note of, the things that I'm asked to pray about, the prayer requests that I pass on, I'd say that the largest percentage of these requests has to do about healing.
I mean, you've got financial problems. That's a form of healing. You've got relationship problems which need healing, but I'm talking about afflictions. I'm talking about disease. I'm talking about car wrecks. Ailments. Infirmities. Well, concerning healing, I want to... And it's in the beauty of the holiness of the Savior... It's examples of what worked, okay? I mean, Scripture, examples of Jesus, of what worked, scripturally worked. And he told Satan, we live by every word. He tells each one of us, we live by every word. So I'm trying to live by these, and I'm trying to have this. What I'm calling, it's another threefold cord. I'll take three cords, I'm going to put them into one, because it's not easily broken, it can't be broken. Because it's Jesus. Because how did Paul begin in the letter to the Colossians? He said, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It's pleasing. The Father was pleased. The Father was pleased. The Father is pleased that in Christ Jesus all the fullness dwells in him. So for the first of the threefold cord, let's look at Luke 7. You know these incidences, you know these situations, you know these. But they've just started coming together in my mind and actually affecting the way that I pray. And in each one of these, I want to just say, there's some things in here that are deeply profound above the point I'm trying to make today. Deeply profound in that it may prompt one of the other men to use and study out, or I'm just going to save it for later. But the first one, excuse me, Luke 7, in verse 1 begins, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. This is the reality. Sick guy about to die. He'd be any minute. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. He's pleading his case. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. What does it say? Well, Jesus went with him. Okay. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. You see, this guy, what's he doing? He's sending people. Saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. And he goes on to explain about himself, about having the authority. Realizing that any authority that a man may have for a few years, any authority a person may perceive that they have is nothing to the authority of Christ Jesus. And he had submitted all of that authority 
to the one who would just say the word and be healed. But what does Jesus say? I say to you, those who brought this message, I say to you, you have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, in verse 9. All those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So number one of the threefold cord, number one of the threefold cord in this instance is Heavenly Precious Father in the name of Christ Jesus. I pray in Christ Jesus that you would just say the word that we be healed. Now the second one, there are numerous instances and occasions of this, the second one, which is comforting, right? I want to kind of wrap my arms around all of these because it's not just a single case. So, and the one I picked, uh, it just, just it, I think it picked me for this second. And that's Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Beginning in verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, in verse 29 of Matthew 20, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. It's exactly what we do when we gather as a congregation to pray before the eternal when we lay these requests at the feet of Jesus. We're saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. What did Jesus do in verse 32? You look at verse 32, he says, he, says, he stood still. What do you want me to do? There's something in that. <clears throat> There's something in that question. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? Verse 33, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion. You better grab a hold of that. Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Now notice earlier, the crowd was telling him to shut up. Be quiet. But as the crowd was putting the hammer down on him to be quiet, you people over there on the side of the road, what'd they do? They kicked it up a notch. Follow me? The crowd said, shut up. And I'm going to kick it up a notch. Because I know something. What do you want me to do? So number two of the threefold course is, of course, that through our prayers, petitioning the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would be touched and we would be healed. Now this third one, yeah, it's not 8.15. Okay, turn it over. <clears throat> this third one, if you could ever make a production out of this, either a stage production, or just try to capture all of the dynamics that were going on in this one, it would be amazing. 
I'm sure it's been tried. I just haven't seen it or if I have, I've forgotten it. But of course, the third one is going to be in Luke 8 in verse 40 because it's two instances in one. It's two instances in one showing us that that, that, that Jesus is the greatest multitasker. He is the only multitasker because it pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell in him. We, we, we struggle to multitask. I've seen Rick Gayworth multitask in, to levels I could only hope to multitask. And I saw Brian at the feast multitask almost to that level. Amazing. When you think of multitasking, Jesus Christ. Let's begin in verse 40. It says, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting on him, and so are we. Let's come back. Everybody's waiting on him. I am too. And behold, there came a, na- a man named Jairus. Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet where you need to be. Probably like Moses did, kind of like Aaron did in the face of adversity when, you're, when your 12-year-old daughter is about dead. That's in the face of adversity. What did he do? He fell at the feet. Pray. That's where you pray. You pray at the feet of the Savior. <clears throat> he came and fell at his feet, and he begged him to come to his house. See what Cornelius you see the dynamic here? You know, these three chords? And I said, mm, you're not coming near this filth. I know how this whole authority thing works. You just say it and it's done. Jairus calls at his feet and says, I need you to come. Because of the expectation of what Jairus knew. For he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him Now, listen. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, how old was the daughter? Not the same. It's interesting. Interesting what you find when you read the Bible. For he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. Now, this woman comes along who's had an issue of blood for 12 years, who, I guess, spent everything she owned on doctors. Nothing. But notice verse 44. Verse 44 says, this woman came from behind. He's right up there. She comes up behind him. What? Touches the border of his garment. Immediately the flow of blood stopped. It's incredible. While he's on his way to do what? Take care of this. But wait a minute. Jairus, I know you're, I know you got a sense of urgency. I know her. She's 12. Hang on. Jesus says, who touched me? Don't you love Peter? (laughs) Oh, Peter. He's quick to say, Master, the multitude's throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? I mean, on on the carnal level, well, sure. Is that what Jesus was asking? He was only talking to one person, and it sure wasn't Peter. Because I could just see everybody. We're geared up. We're going to Jarvis' house. The Lord's going to heal. We've seen this. 
He's got the healing look in his eyes. We're going to Jairus' house. Stop. Who touched me? There's something in that. Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. Well, Jairus did that. Right? She did it. Moses did it. Aaron did it. Others did it. Jesus said, when you pray. But notice. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. See, here's the thing. What did she know? She thinks she was just going to go up there and touch him and it was just going to be done? Probably. Because notice, don't have to turn there, but I want you to... In the other account that Matthew says, this is a really interesting thing. When I say, what did she know? She said to herself, she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be well. She saw him in the crowd, came from behind him, touched it. It happened, didn't it? But then something happened. Who touched me? She comes up, falls at his feet. It's an incredible example. It wasn't going to just end. Because Jesus is the greatest multitasker, the eternal, the divine organizer. I heard a guy try to express. When you try to express what you can't, you grab things. I've got kind of a limited vocab. But the divine organizer, the eternal multitasker, it's incredible. But what about Jairus? I don't know how long that took. Was it just real quick? I want to fall feed Jesus? I'll say, yeah, I did. I'll say, see you later. Can I go to Jairus? People are going, what? It's teaching time. Throng of people. Peter says, are you kidding me? Who, you, look at this. You're asking who touched you? I can barely get through. Imagine Black Friday at everything free, thronging against the Lord. What about Jairus? Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying, Your daughter's dead. It's time to forget about it. She's dead. Just forget about it. What did Jesus say? I'm going to close here with this third point. So much more to talk about. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. And he gets to the house and says, where is she? You know, quit, quit mourning. What's all this wailing business going on? She's asleep. And what? They ridicule him. She's dead. She do? Come on, little girl, get up. Touched her. Let's see that third, okay? 
That third of the threefold cord is that through our prayers, what you'd call the fragrant offering of a prayer of faith before the throne of the eternal, that through our prayers, we could actually touch the hem of the garment of the Nazarene, the royal robe of Jesus, and be healed. It's three instances. Just say the word. Touch and heal. Or let us do our prayers in the authority and scripturally revealed willingness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Let us touch the royal robe, the hem of that garment, and be healed. I was scheduled to be out of town this past week in one part of the country, but I found myself in another part of the country. And I know why. I know why. It's a beautiful little town called Decatur, Arkansas. It's a neat little town. <clears throat> As we were making our way through this kind of back road from Siloam Springs to a town called Centerton, Arkansas, I saw one of these churches. And I always read those. You know, I know Lawrence likes to read signs, and Mrs. Gregory does too as they're traveling back and forth to Canada because sometimes you find something that sticks with you. I think the whole week and the situations of this week was so I would get one thing in my mind, and I want to tell you what that one thing is that I saw on that sign. It says, His faithfulness is greater than our problems. You might have seen that one. I'd never seen that one before, but that boy, boom! You get it? I'm trying. His faithfulness is bigger than our problems. All right, if you do me a favor, as I close, as the red light is is on. If you'll take your bulletin. I love Bill Fowler. I still do. He baptized me. I did my first sermonette when Bill Fowler gave the sermon here. Appreciate Rick for keeping that going because we've got to have another generation that know of the Bill Fowler thing. Okay? It doesn't stop here. It's got to go. And he's throwing it out there. And it's not returning void. So we throw these things out there. Lord, I want you to do, you see, every knee shall bow, right? That's the title. But there's a dot, dot, dot. Okay, I, want, I, I have a little saying. I can't take credit for this. I love that. Every knee shall bow. Well, we can say it with authority because it's true. Every knee shall bow, dot, dot, dot. And here's how I want you to finish that. Every knee shall bow... It's best to do it now. Brethren, let's, let's be prayerful. I mean, I think that was... Jesus was pretty upset with the money changers, and he was upset because what? The house was to be a house of prayer. So whatever money changers have set up shopping us, he's got to throw them out. So then he can set this up as a house of prayer. Every knee shall bow. It's best to do it now.